It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Hey, my friend. I'm glad you found this here. My Michelle Live podcast. Today is Health Watch, where we're going to find out, like we've been talking about this whole week, logic and reason. We're going to talk about how when we abandon reason for rhetoric, there are consequences. And when the consequences may be your life, ouch, that's pretty serious. What do I mean? Well, we'll be talking about some ways that we have neglected some of the bigger issues because we are so focused on the coronavirus and the coronavirus, while very serious and especially very serious for some, there are some lasting effects for some even. It is not the great killer of all society that it had been made out to be. So we'll talk a bit about that today. We'll talk a bit about what is important and what we are neglecting and what you need to know about. Did you know one person dies every 36 seconds in the United States from cardio cardiovascular disease. Think about that. About 655,000 Americans dying from heart disease each year. That's one in four deaths. So think of yourself and four of your friends. Which one might it be? I mean, that's when you put it in perspective like that, and we're going through a pandemic that is dwarfed by heart disease, you got to wonder, I mean, hand to head, face palm big time, why aren't we talking about this? Well, guess what? We are, and we're doing it with our Game of Life coach, Matt Peel. He's the author of The Athlete in the Game of Life, Stretch, Strengthen, Live, and Thrive, and that's exactly what we're going to do today with our friend, Matt. Hey, Hey, Michelle. How are you? I am doing good. Hopefully heart healthy. You know, I'm COVID free, but I should be worrying more about my heart health than uh, catching COVID because this is a bigger issue in our country. It's a much bigger issue. And actually, they're very much related because those that have had more severe symptoms of COVID are typically the ones that have heart issues, diabetes issues, um, you know, obesity issues, which all those are related together, they are the ones that have and struggle with severe COVID systems, uh, symptoms. Wow. That's revealing. Think about that. So if you really are concerned about COVID, you really should be concerned about your health. If you're not concerned about COVID, you should be concerned about your health where your heart's concerned. So this is the reality, but in America, well, we can't stay away from our Twinkies. And now that we're in lockdown, we're sitting our butts behind our computers all day long. And some states may not be in lockdown, but with restrictions, um, we really are much more sedentary. And that is not helping. No, not at all. And on to your, your points in, in your intro there. It is true. One out of two adults have hypertension. So 50% of America has high blood pressure. 50% of America, right? Let that sink in with your listeners, not just this population or that population of the entire United States. And only one in four, 25% of that have it under control. So there's a lot of people out there that either have it and ignore it 
or have it and um, or don't even know that they have. It. So it's, it's a big issue. I mean, do we really need that? Like when we're we're looking at COVID, we have propaganda-esque information being pumped at us all the time. Every radio station, television station, you can't go to the store without it being pumped in over loudspeakers. It's in the newspapers. It's on uh, billboards. Uh, and so no wonder we are so COVID crazy. But we really don't see as much with heart disease. Disease, does it really take that kind of slap across the face? Why aren't we paying attention to this? I've, I've wondered that for a long time. Um, heart disease is the number one killer every single year of Americans. It kills a half a million people every single year. And there's even though the CDC puts information out and you know, we have American Heart Month, um, and people understand or know about blood pressure, they just ignore it. And I don't know if we do have to go and put on the news every day. Well, guess what? Now we're up to uh, 30,000 people have died um, so far from Because we are fear and, motivated. And we're, we're fear motivated. If we're yeah. not afraid, we don't do anything. We really do have talked about vaccines and COVID, how uh, how it affects uh, people of color, uh, minority populations, and yet even heart disease, um, the number of deaths with blacks, um, 23%. Um, Mm-hmm. About the same, about almost exactly the same with whites, by the way. But that's a that's a huge percentage when we think of the effect that it has on our health, our families, and our communities. So, look, we don't want to just talk about the problem during Heart Month. We really want to be part of the solution. And the solutions, this is the cool thing on on this particular program, Matt. The solutions really are a lot easier than and and less expensive than sometimes we think in American medicine. Yes, definitely. Medications are not cheap. That's why pharmaceutical companies make billions and billions of dollars because it's expensive to be on medications. It's expensive to have health care coverage. And I'm not saying don't have health care coverage, but that's what drives these prices up is people that are on a lot of medications and then they have to use and go to the doctor so often. Heck, a lot it's big of it business. can be solved. Yeah. Go ahead. Business. Have bad health. I'm going to make a lot of money off of you. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is capitalism. And, and that's what, what happens here. And there's nothing wrong with capitalism. But, but there's something wrong with when we that? when we exploit it, right? When we exploit yes. it. I mean, for yes. example, uh, we we make money off of this podcast. Um, hopefully, you're mm-hmm. making lots of money from people buying your book, The Athlete in the Game of Life. That's great. We're here to help people. But if that turns to profit because we're exploiting you and and perpetuating a problem that could cost you your life, that's where capitalism sucks. And that's only because of a of a a heart issue and I'm not talking about our physical heart <laughs> issue, right? Right. 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 So we can solve a lot of these problems just with our lifestyle. And there's a lot of information on heart.org. 
and they work with the CDC and the CDC I was reading um, a couple of days ago, you know, they have a, uh, a new downloadable um, it's a PDF file that talks about hypertension and gives you a lot of facts. So there's education out there and lifestyle can help you put away all your medicines, stop taking your medications and you feel better. You lose weight, you look better. You have more self-confidence, more self-esteem. And it's a lot cheaper to do that than it is to stay on medications. People will say, oh, I can't afford these groceries. Well, you can afford more than that in medications. So obviously you can. Yes, that is so true. Think about that. Wrap your head around that for just a moment. If you were free from all of those medications, and I don't think Matt or I are saying just dump them instantly, get rid of them and look for something else. You know, every single natural doctor will say, wean yourself off, get yourself healthy, Mm -hmm. and then you'll find that maybe you don't need it, especially under the care of a doctor if you're using, you know, heavy medications. But man, can you imagine the money you save? That's why a lot of people quit smoking sometimes not even for their health but just because they're spending so much money on it they're thinking wow i could i could vacation in tahiti every single year for the amount of money i'm spending on my smokes right absolutely absolutely i can't tell you how many clients that i've had um since i've been a, a trainer since 2008 that when they stay consistently with changing their lifestyle and in working with their doctor, they've been able to drop medications and not have to take blood pressure medications or other medications anymore because the body is so resilient, it solves that problem because you're not feeding it junk. You're not just storing up energy, which is fat. Oh, not only that, but you help people with real life practical ways to get our bodies moving, to get our bodies strengthened. This is one of the things I love about your mindset is that you take us where we're at with the resources that we have and and with the items we have around us, you get us stronger and healthier. Can you help with some of the best things that we might be able to do for heart health this month? Sure, I was just actually putting the finishing touches on my uh, blog post for the week. Ooh, and we're gonna have to, many we're gonna people, have to uh, connect to that. Tell folks where they can find your blog post. Just go to my website, mattpeel.com and look, click on the, uh, the blog tab and you'll see all the blogs that I've I write generally every week. Sometimes I'm, you know, I miss one, but every week there is a, a new blog on there. So there's plenty of free information out there. So again, mattpeel.com, click on blog, and you got access to everything that I've written. Perfect. So this week we talked about, um, people, I'm sure I've heard of it, uh, Tabata, right? The, the Tabata style of workout, 20 seconds of intense activity followed by 10 seconds of rest then 20 seconds and 10 seconds. And so you can do that right from your living room. And and when I uh, publish the blog uh, probably later on this afternoon, you're going to have what I call a prison style workout, right? Which means if you're in an eight by eight cell and you got no equipment there, you can still get a good workout. Think of your living room as an eight by eight cell. You don't need equipment. All you need is a timer. Now we even have things like Spotify where you can go on and, and, um, look at a Tabata playlist so it tells you the timer and in less than 10 minutes you can boost your brain health and you can boost your heart health 
right there from the uh, little area rug in your living room. I like that. And you can take a few moments away from your desk and your chair, because as we've talked about smoking, they say sitting is the new smoking. So get your hiney up, get it moving in a practical way. What you're talking about is something that's actually relatable. I think that's been an intimidation factor that has gone out the window since COVID, uh, where you have body shaming and uh, intimidation at gym where you're like, I'm going to the gym and I'm not in great shape. You just feel uncomfortable. You may feel judged. I've heard that a lot. You don't have to worry about that at home. It's just fine. And this is something that is affordable and real for folks. So I would encourage you to go to Matt's website, mattpeel.com. Don't worry about trying to spell it right. You can just find it from mymichellelive.com. You know where we're at and where you're listening. You'll see a link. Matt can get you moving because he's our Game of Life coach. Matt, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Michelle. My Michelle Live comes to you with thanks from one of our affiliates, in particular, Real Bearded Men. Check out their products, all for our bearded listeners. All my brothers with beards, raise up your beards. Let that thing grow wild from ear to ear. They say you're so cute, clean shaven. I'm so sorry, beard. This ain't no shave, no members, no shaving. Brothers with Beards. We have a special deal with Real Bearded Men. Go to our website, get a coupon code, and use the link. You'll get the best deal on products for men with beards. So let's talk about more things that are good for your heart. How about a nice sauna? Just hop in the sauna. A steamy session may be as good for the body as a moderate workout. I'm talking about real heart and cardio benefits. That's according to researchers from the University of Eastern Finland. Finnish researchers monitored just over 100 people just before and after a 30-minute sauna session with the heat cranked up to nearly 165 degrees Fahrenheit. They found, on average, that time in a hot sauna reduced people's blood pressure and artery stiffness, and the session got their heart rates up the way you'd expect during a moderate-intensity workout, according to Health news. For those saying, now that's my kind of exercise. Hang on a second. This doesn't mean sitting in a sauna is as good for you as working out. The study author says they're not sure of that yet, and he states the obvious. Muscles aren't getting the same benefit as they would be from pumping iron. But the blood flow is similar, which suggests sauna sessions could keep the heart healthy and pumping like a well-oiled machine. A well-oiled machine. And what about this? Uh, Speaking of being in a pandemic and ignoring your heart, this one thing, staying away from this one thing may help both. Now there's even more evidence that sugary coffee drinks and soda could lead to early death. The journal Circulation just released a 34-year-long study of more than 118,000 men and women that suggested that people who drink more sugar-sweetened beverages are more likely to die from all sorts of reasons, and especially from heart problems and cancers. When we looked at the different types of cancers, that association was driven by breast and colon cancer, which are diet and obesity-related cancers, said lead study author Vasanti Malik. We've long 
long known, so does bad for your health. In 2015, CNN reported that consumption of sugary drinks might lead to 184,000 adult deaths each year worldwide, with experts saying the calories in soda are coming entirely from added sugar, without any nutritional value. In the recent study in the journal Circulation, researchers found that the more sugar consumption, the higher the risk of death. But the good news is, you can start cutting back right away. Experts told Business Insider that replacing sugar with cream and cinnamon or having seltzer with lemon can be flavorful ways to kick that sugar. Okay, to kick that sugar habit. Sorry, some of these are kick are uh, dropping off quickly. But here's the thing, and this may help you. Calitran's really good for your heart, and there is a quiz. You can take the My Michelle Live quiz. Uh, you can find the link on our website, mymichellelive.com, and on our Facebook page, My Michelle Live. And if you do, here is a hint. There's like a dozen questions. And for those of you who get them right, you could win some really cool prizes and you could win Calitrin. So how do I like my coffee? That's one of the questions and it's without the sugar and such. So I like it uh, if I'm having a latte. Uh, oat milk is okay. I really like whole milk. I really do. And I drink organic, but a couple of drops of stevia, boom, puts me over the top. There you go. There's a freebie for you. If you go to mymichellelive.com, you could enter to win. And that is so cool. Some other things that can contribute to heart attacks, drugs. They're locked in everyone's medicine cabinet. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs for short. These popular pain pills keep millions of Americans moving. These are the medications one will take when you're having body aches, fever, headaches, or sometimes severe arthritic problems. My shoulders will ache. Um, it's from working out, it's from lifting weights. Peter Iberseeder reaches for ibuprofen maybe once or twice a week. It just dulls the pain enough so I can sleep a little bit better. Now the FDA is weighing in, recommending people proceed with caution when taking drugs containing ibuprofen and naproxen, common brands like Aleve, Advil, and Motrin. Dr. Morali Mupala is a cardiologist with Lee Memorial Health System. When you take these medications, you can have increased risk of stroke or heart attack. Well, there you go. You want to make sure that you're being wise about what you're doing with your heart. We are abandoning reason and going with rhetoric where when we panic about COVID, staying in, staying locked down, not getting out, getting fresh air, doing the things we need to do to take care of the number one killer in America, and that is heart disease. Women in particular don't always realize that heart attacks, it's not just a guy thing. Here's some symptoms for you gals to make sure you're staying healthy. You might be surprised to learn that heart disease is the leading cause of death for women in the United States. There are several female-specific heart attack symptoms. Out of the 35,000 women who experience heart attacks each year in the U.S., only 50% report having chest pain. So what do they feel? Some common but often unrecognized symptoms include extreme fatigue, irregular lower and upper back pain, discomfort in the neck, jaw, or one or both arms, nausea or flu-like symptoms, and lightheadedness. Symptoms can occur over hours, days, or even weeks. And 
if you ignore them during those weeks, your heart could start to die. And I've seen that happen with people that I love. Be careful out there and pay attention. Well, I wanted to focus on heart, and we are going to get to how we have ignored some of the big things that are going out there with some illogical responses to COVID. That will be coming up a little bit later. But first, I bet there's some things you don't know about your heart. Did you know your heart is extraordinarily unique? Even so much so, the Pentagon has been doing some interesting tests. Biometric identification continues to get more advanced. While we've all heard about facial recognition, there are other ways humans can be uniquely identified, and that has all sorts of applications. According to an MIT technology review piece, we all have different hearts, a unique cardiac signature, and a new device developed for the Pentagon after U.S. Special Forces requested it can identify people without seeing their face. Instead, it detects their unique cardiac signature with an infrared laser. It works at 200 meters or 219 yards, but the Pentagon says longer ranges are possible. Engadget notes besides the military surveillance uses, the technology could be used in the medical field, for instance, to wirelessly monitor a patient's vitals. Wow. Okay. That's both very cool and a little bit creepy. When you think about your heart being so unique, uh, when you think of your babies in your womb, what's the very first thing that develops? The very first thing you can detect? It's a heartbeat. And your heart it said, may actually have a brain. What? Yeah. Welcome with me, Catherine Athens. Dr. Athens is a health psychologist. Uh, she has degrees both clinically and psychologically. So when we talk about the heart, she can talk about it from every point of view. Uh, she's also written the book, The Heart Brain. Did you know you have three brains? Dr. Athens, welcome. Let's talk a bit about that uniqueness of the heart. For the yeah, ultrasound that the heart, you hear the heart beat at a certain age. The heart is the major organ in the body that tells every other organ, you know, function more, function less. Uh, it, it basically gets the body to function as one organ and and listens to every other organ in the body uh the the heart is just so important as far as giving us information on what's going on emotionally and physically in our body and most of us I'll say most of us don't even know where the heart is in our body. (laughs) (laughs) It's really amazing how we need to teach everyone about the heart. I always have people put their right hand on their heart and just start to breathe and feel the heart, feel what's going on, uh, to go inside. The COVID is really an opportunity to take time to go inside and begin to become familiar again with your organs, with what, how your body functions. I, I don't think we know enough, or maybe we've forgotten, but enough isn't taught about the fact this body we have is an amazingly wonderful, 
organism that keeps us safe, that has an amazing immune system. And mm-hmm. part of the immune system, one of the major parts, is the heart in harmony. In other words, the heart that's calm, that beats regularly, is one of the best forces to keep us well. Let's talk a little bit more about that because our immune system is not something we're talking about during this global panic. (laughs) Forget pandemic. It's a global panic that we have. And uh, we're putting a lot of faith in masks, which we've done uh, some shows on that show that there's not a lot of studies that show that masks are truly doing the job that we think they're doing and in some cases causing harm because we're breathing and into these masks, the COVID virus is very small, can get through. And now they're saying, well, maybe you need to put a nylon between that or two or three masks. Uh, And then we have this moist environment where viruses love to live. So in some instances, it may not be doing the job that we want it to do. I'm not saying don't wear it. I'm just saying that we're not paying attention to our immune system. And you mentioned that our heart may be part of our immune system. Now, Dr. Athens, if we are not paying attention to heart issues when it is one of the biggest issues out there that kills people and on top of it can have an effect on uh, our a healthy immune system that can stave off things like COVID, man, we're really missing the mark. So can we, can we delve into that just a little bit more? Oh, absolutely. First of all, one of my clients who's very smart who's done some research on the Spanish flu in uh, 1918, was saying that many people died of pneumonia by inhaling the fibers of the mask, which irritated the lungs and started a really bad kind of, um, uh, I'm sorry, environment for for the person, for the lungs. Uh, So I'm just, what I will say is we don't pay enough attention to our hearts. We don't pay enough attention to the fact that literally our immune system filters out billions of microbes out of our body, uh, kills them uh, all the time without our even knowing it. That's how amazingly magnificent our bodies are. And it's very, very important for people to begin to come back to their bodies and understand that we are able to uh, heal ourselves, and we do all the time. Uh, I know that uh, some of my colleagues who are doctors, and you can see this on YouTube, have been talking about the use of vitamin D as well. And, And yes. So I'll just throw that out there and and have your listeners go do some research on it. Oh, yeah, because I know that vitamin D, even the recommended, the FDA's recommended daily dose, doesn't even cover it on a regular basis, let alone during cold and flu season, especially for folks that are in these areas where it's a little bit darker, a little bit longer, like, hello, I'm raising my hand here in Seattle where we don't see the sun for, I don't know when we're going to see the sun again, actually. So, yeah, I, I'm hearing you there. Yeah, so so coming back to the heart, most of us, 
don't even pay any attention to what the heart does or know what it does, but it definitely will notify, send information through the vagus nerve up to the old brain, and then sometimes there's something on the back of your head. It's it's a little uh, organism called the thalamus, and the thalamus may say, oh, this person isn't ready to know that yet, and send the information (laughs) back down to the unconscious, so we're not aware. You know how people say, oh, that struck me out of the blue. No, it didn't. It's that we were not calm enough and in tune enough to say, hey, there's something wrong. Better go to the doctor. I better slow down, you know, adjust my diet, uh, drink water, take my vitamin C, my vitamin D. I better be kind to other people. Because kindness from the heart sends out, you were talking about a vibration, sends Mm -hmm, out a mm -hmm. vibration. And if we have, uh, there's some studies going on, if we have eight people in a room sending out love from the heart, that love can be felt not only in the room and on the earth, but it goes all the way out past our solar system. That's that's great. And in my in my uh, worldview, you know, maybe that's part of my communication with God. And here is something else that uh, is amazing along those lines. The studies that have been done showing that kindness has an effect on plant life. That's why you see people talking to their plants, those crazy plant people talking to their plants out there, but it really does. There is something to this that we just don't delve into because we are we have this idea that we are only what we can see uh, but as science continues to delve into these areas we see that there is much more to the story than you can just observe with your own eyes is that fair well, to say it's true absolutely absolutely and what's really important is to begin to feel and to sense and to begin to appreciate those 50 trillion cells in your body. You know, you have 50 trillion cells in the body, and what's the truth? They do not lie to each other. Huh. And, and if when they do, breathe, that's when you're sick. <laughs> that's when you're sick. Yeah. When that goes, you know, into an aberrant thing, that's when yeah. cancer develops. That's when uh, various uh, chronic diseases develop. So taking care of the body, honoring it, it is a miraculous creation. And supporting it, supporting the heart by sending out love. Now, I have a a kind of a fun story. I'll keep it short. But one of my teachers, spiritual teachers, told me when I went out with the girls to send out love. So we went out to a bar. And my friends dumped me somewhere, and I couldn't find them. But I just started sending out love to everybody. I figured, okay, I'm going to try this exercise. I recommend everybody try it, because you start sending out love, and people feel it. You know, as the government's saying, we can identify your heart vibration. People feel your heart vibration. And by the end of the evening, I was dancing with one guy. One guy was holding my purse. One guy was 
holding my drink. The other guy was holding my coat. And there was a long line of them waiting to dance with me. I'm sorry. I just literally snorted on air. That made me laugh so hard. So everyone's like, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) That is such a glorious story. Oh, my gosh. But there's something to that. It's beautiful. And I'm wondering if that's part of the breakdown and problem on a larger scale in our nation and in our world today where we have intolerance for one another we see the worst in each other we are demonizing one another we're cancel culturing people Um, and i don't care what side of the political aisle you're on that's a human condition not a political condition where we can do that maybe we can be part of the problem. I mean, little old me, just one person sending out that love, maybe there really is something powerful in in that concept, Dr. Athens. Absolutely. If every one of you sends out love from your heart, begins to do it, pretty soon what happens, now love isn't a three-dimensional thing. Love is beyond the dimensions because it doesn't follow the rules of physics. The more love you send out, the more you have in your heart. Now, mm-hmm. isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And, the, you know, and the more that more people send it out, the more that more people have. So the more you give, you receive even more and you increase the capacity of your body to have love. And I believe, uh, after doing this research on the heart and how important it is to have heart harmony and love, that every cell in your body needs to be loved, needs to be, and the heart will do that. Wow, it's almost as if the universe, with all of its glory and all of its science, was created for love. It's true, and created from love. Boom! That's huge. It's beautiful. Uh, This is something that transcends uh, just just uh, heart health, you know, just taking care of your heart and staving off heart attacks and the like. But what you're talking about takes a body, mind, and spirit. And it's so important that I wanted to circle back to something that could save our listeners' lives. We talked earlier about uh, women in particular don't understand that you have heart attacks just as much as men. It's thought of, of as a man's disease. Now, that's starting to, that concept is starting to change a little bit, but I think male or female, uh, whoever you are, understanding something that you said, Dr. Athens, that when we take a moment to sit back, put our hand on our hearts, breathe, uh, maybe be a little bit more in tune with our body, let that that heart brain communicate, we can be a little bit more in tune to what's happening in our body what's happening in our in our world and then we can fix things we're a little bit more cognizant to have not only a healthy body but a healthy relationship with the people around us and maybe maybe even change the world a little bit Uh, just starting with my little corner of it and a little love i'll give you the final word oh absolutely so i recommend People, please um, 
go buy a copy of The Heart Brain. You can find it on my webpage, katherineathensphd.com. You can find a link. Every, every place you're listening to this, we put a link to this book, The Heart Brain, uh, so you can find it everywhere that you're hearing this. We make it really easy. If you're listening somewhere, boom, click that link, get the book. Get that book. Really important. It will change your idea and it will renew your enthusiasm about how wonderful you are because we have this heart that looks out for us, that tries to let us know when things are good and also when things are not so good. And it is the most powerful weapon we have in changing our environment to love instead of this terrible derision we have. Well, let's start a movement right here. (laughs) I I really love it. And you know, uh, Dr. Athens, my heart is even fuller now that we've had this conversation. I, I just am so encouraged. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. And I appreciate you and all your listeners and have an amazingly wonderful day. Turn off your devices. Go outside and look at look at your look at the trees, look at the plants, look at how much beauty is all around us and how abundant it is. For being with us today as I broadcast from Seattle. We're kind of feeling like senseless in Seattle. Why do I say that? Because the world just seems a little bit crazy and Seattle seems to be at the very epicenter of it in in the news oftentimes. We've talked a little bit about that, but what we really wanted to get to in all of our broadcast this week is how we have abandoned logic and reason. And it seems to be our new reality. We're going to be talking about that with uh, Assistant Research Professor, the School of Business and Economics at the Catholic University of America. He's also the senior, a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, where he works with the Center on Wealth, Poverty, and morality. He's been with them since 1998, and he is our guest today, Jay Richards. I'm so delighted to have you with us today. Thanks, Michelle. Great to be with you. Well, here we are in this world where it seems that we have abandoned logic and reason for feeling and uh, going with what my gut tells me. And and that just, Mm -hmm. it sounds like something you'd hear out of a Disney movie, but it's not necessarily what we need in reality, right? No, it's not. And I mean, of course, what's weird about this is that officially no one says, well, we should follow our feelings rather than the facts. What we're actually being told is we should follow the science rather than our feelings. And yet if you spend 30, 45 seconds looking at often what the science is, that's really an invocation of some particular highly ideological presentation of the science. And of course, I'm thinking right now in particular about the, the COVID panic of 20 and 20. 
2020 and 2021, in which all sorts of things that if you really look at the scientific literature don't make a lot of sense, are nevertheless sort of imposed on us, whether it's wearing two masks or population-wide lockdowns, which have never, never had been tested until 2020, this idea that everyone should be locked in houses together, uh, healthy and unhealthy alike, that was never tested. So there was no science behind this. What there was is a hypothesis that it would work and it got run on the human population in 2020. And if you disagreed with it, you were told, well, you're obviously, uh, you know, some kind of occultic uh, pseudoscientist. When in fact, it's like, no, I just don't seem to see that there's any evidence. There's a difference between the evidence of science and what, you know, particular spokespeople in the federal government and social media say the science is. Those are two different things. Oh, you have unwrapped a lot. And it's almost <laughs> feeling to many like that's Pandora's box. Ah! Mm -hmm. But uh, that's something that we have to get to is a place where we can look at the facts, look at what the what is out there and make reasonable determinations, but be able to talk about it too, which is difficult in this day and age. Um, I know that sometimes we have seen, particularly with the coronavirus, mm -hmm. that uh, it's almost, I think you've said this in, in, in both the book that I want to reference and a webinar, The Price of Panic, answering mm -hmm. crucial questions of how we respond to COVID-19, right? Uh, that yeah. you talk about this virus that is a, a contag is contagious but also mm -hmm. a social contagion right. that is that is just as <laughs> equally dangerous and is seen to take even more of a toll that we're not willing to talk about. That's right. And that's this this book, The Price of Panic, that I co-authored with Doug Axe and William Briggs. Uh, it's really, I mean, the title says it all. We're talking about uh, two contagions. There's a course of viral contagion that started in uh, late 2019 or early 2020 and continues, and that has a real toll. Uh, but any response to something like that is also going to have a toll. It's going to have a cost. Uh, and we're convinced that because the, the, the particular policies we chose are actually ineffective, um, they're really all cost and all pain and no gain. So mm -hmm. uh, the lockdowns, for instance, which are cost massive toll in terms of jobs and health and well-being and lives. Lives. Um, you know, th that's something that nobody really wants to take seriously. We treat it as if there's this one-sided risk. The only risk out there we're talking about is the risk from the coronavirus uh, and the risk of the lockdowns, you know, is just sort of ignored. But any rational discussion and rational policy response is going to balance costs and benefits. And you want the benefits of a response to outweigh the costs, obviously. Um, and unfortunately, that hasn't happened. And it's this weird kind of confluence of what we call the tyranny of experts. The, the problem's not genuine experts. Go. It's pe people that have mm -hmm. an expertise in some particular thing. Anthony Fauci is an immunologist. Guess what? He's not a macroeconomist and he is not an expert in how to evaluate the social effect of lockdowns. But the media treated him as if he was this infallible oracle so that he could pontificate on things over which he has absolutely no knowledge. He's no, you might as well talk to a guy on the street. He, does, he knows as much as Fauci does about many of these things. Uh, and then the media and especially the social media treated these people as infallible or oracles. So even if 
because you had a scientific expert from Stanford uh, Medical School, they were treated as weird outsider cranks because they weren't these government officials. That's what is so subverting about what's happened is that uh, we're being told that we should follow the science. But in fact, what we're following is the particular, usually government experts that media and social media have happened to elevate based on nothing um, and actually ignore the real scientific experts that are trying to balance the, the costs and the benefits. That's what's so maddening. It's maddening <clears throat> enough that three of us um, spent the first part of the lockdown working on a book critiquing it. Well, you're you're digging in. You're trying to find, okay, the world's going crazy. Can we just come back to what we've been talking about this week, logic and reason? And yeah. I kind of understand it. And you paint that picture too. Look, when this first started, and this is mm-hmm. where it seems that you say we can boil it down to where the world got crazy, at least in this regard, right? Yeah. That... Uh, we didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how it would affect the world. Right. We weren't sure how it was spread. So in essence, I've always said, okay, just doing whatever we can, just whatever. Mm-hmm. Right now, yep. uh, there's a lot to talk about with the masks or social distancing, flattening the sure. curve. They taught us how to rewash our hands and all of yes. that. And then people were trying to make, and this is where it gets even weirder, predictions. Uh, mm-hmm. There were a predictions outcomes like from Neil Ferguson oh, yeah. that predicted that you know there will be millions of deaths from this That's right. uh, there were predictions that showed that uh, that uh, more people would die than has actually even came close to pan out and right. that perception remains with us today as you ask yes. people what is the death rate of mm-hmm of COVID, of, of right. the coronavirus. And people think it's nearly 10%, you know, 9%, right. sometimes six, as low mm-hmm. as six, when in reality, it is 0.06, am I correct? Yeah, well, that's right. So that's if it, the, it's based, that's a poll from July in which people were asked, what was the percentage of the population um, that had died uh, as of July, right? So that's separate from the infection fatality rate. This is the whole population of 330 million people. The average guess was 9%. Well, in fact, at the time, it was 0.06%, which means that people think the virus is 150 times more deadly than it actually is. Well, where are they getting that? Are they, they're not getting it from the CDC website. They're not reading PubMed. They're getting that from the newsfeed on Twitter or from the Chiron at the bottom of the screen on CNN. So really, this is almost entirely a media creation. The, the estimate of the initial deaths, as you mentioned, uh, Neil Ferguson was part of this team at the in Imperial College London that developed a, a computer model in March based on just a bunch of assumptions they made about how deadly it was and how infectious it was. That's where this 2.2 million American dead in the first wave came from. It was just assumed in the model, uh, but the head of the World Health Organization glommed onto it. All the official public health experts glommed onto it. And so that's why no matter what you say uh, about the dangers of lockdowns, they say, well, if we hadn't done it, 2.2 million Americans would have died. That's not true. We knew within a month that the computer model was completely and profoundly flawed. But once that number sort of anchored in our collective consciousness, we can't manage to get it out. And this is a perfect example of which in which a, a, a simulacrum of science in the form of an untested computer model is used 
uh, in stand in, to stand in for science. But look, a computer model is just um, only as good as the assumptions that are plugged into it. And so a model that's been tested against the evidence over and over again, that might be useful. This model is just based on the assumptions they decided to plug into it. And so it was no more than a complicated argument that somebody wrote on a computer. But people don't really get that. And so we get told that something is based on science. And before long, we're social creatures and none of us really want to go in, investigate it ourselves. And so we're very easily led along. So that's why here we are a year out. We're still complying. Most, most Americans are still not especially curious about the details. They're still told uh, what to do and they're doing it. I mean, in Europe, people are, are protesting, massive street protests. It's not happening here. That's what's so strange. No, it is. There's a lot in there in what you just said. Not only are, are we not because we're not really allowed to. I mean, we, no. we see people losing their jobs for having alternate, alter, uh, alternate uh, mindsets to mm -hmm. what the narrative is. We're even right. seeing a France. France, France. Uh, yes. leaders in France are coming out against America and saying, hey, watch out for their crate, their particular brand of council culture crazy. Yes. You know why? Yeah. Because they have a history. They know in their country what it's mm -hmm. like to have That's to right. come up against uh, that kind of mindset when they went in World War Two. But yet we lop on to I want to use the word technocracy. Yes. You know, th these technocrats, these people who mm -hmm. are advanced and uh, <laughs> enlightened beyond all of us in yes. what we should do and what we should know. For some reason, we lop Hollywood in, in on that, too, mm -hmm. which I'll never quite understand. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but these Ferguson figures, the, the yeah. Neil Ferguson figures you, that you mentioned, this guy has a, a history a history of yeah. getting it wrong. What the That's right. heck? <laughs> That's what's so bizarre. I mean, yeah, we discuss in the book, he's been had basically an, an unchecked 20 year career uh, in which he has a perfect record of getting these predictions wrong. So if it was the bird flu, if it was the swine flu, uh, if, I mean, orders of magnitude, like predicting hundreds of millions of deaths when there's 50 deaths. I mean, it, that level of, of error uh, in his predictions. And yet he has he suffered not at all for it. And we think it's really because of the incentives uh, for government public health officials. So if you're a public health official and you say a million people die, if unless we do this, and then a thousand people die, you get to say, well, it's because of our response, right? And so aren't we glad we did that? Whereas if you say, well, only five people are die will die and a million people die, right? Then you're looking for a new job. And so the incentive for uh, a public health official okay. is always, always to exaggerate. And so if you're a politician- And that's fair. Yeah, but okay. you got to understand that, right? So if you're the politician charged with making a policy decision, you got to say, okay, now this guy's incentive is to exaggerate. Let me ask somebody outside of government that's an expert to give me their own best judgment. That's what Governor DeSantis did in Florida. He quickly figured out, okay, I need to talk to independent scientists from Europe to find out what's going on. And so he was able to recalibrate within a few weeks. We haven't done that nationally. And so we're still doing the same stupid stuff that might've been forgivable at the end of March, 2020. It's really not forgivable or justifiable in February, 2021. Yeah, and again, right. We we <laughs> we did things like uh, or heard things like it's we've got to flatten the curve. Yes. And that 
made that made a bit of sense. That was mm-hmm. a fairly good argument. Look, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen here. Okay, that's right. And you make a brilliant argument that yeah, that is kind of the job of public officials to mm-hmm. over prepare rather than under prepare. That yeah. makes sense too. So I see how we we kind of started this snowball mm-hmm. rolling until it got yeah. out of control and rolled all over us. But yes. we but thinking that that idea of flattening the curve was all about making sure that our healthcare system wasn't overwhelmed with people right. going to the hospital because there were mm-hmm. a lot of hospitalizations and a lot of fear sure. and, and such so whatever happened we don't hear that phrase flatten no. the curve anymore it's gone we, well, it's we flattened gone. it didn't we well I mean, it, I mean the reality is it was a the, the curves themselves were based entirely upon assumptions so the the idea that lockdowns okay. would flatten the curve was based on the assumption that lockdowns flatten the curve I mean that, it's that simple uh, that lockdowns right, right, right. would that okay. lo- type of lockdowns we're doing would in okay, fact and we'll do get that. to that in a minute we definitely will yeah, and so really what happened was that the timeline that we were given, right, which was, remember, 30 days to, to you know, slow the spread was the White House campaign. Well, the 30 days was up. Um, we realized, okay, yeah, we, there were pressure on the healthcare system, but, you know, the big uh, makeshift hospitals in New York ended up not getting used. And so the, the argument was gone because, well, we've done this now. So what's the argument now? Well, it quickly transitioned into, well, we need to do this to just continue saving lives and reduce the spread and things like this, which no one had ever actually even made the argument that that would work. Um, moreover, it's one thing to lock down for two weeks. It's another thing to do it indefinitely, right, in terms of businesses and jobs and, and human well-being. And that's where we are now. And no one really noticed the transition, part being no politician has the incentive to do this, to, to say, okay, well, that was maybe a bad idea or, you know, that didn't work. So let's let's stop doing that. Because then they'd have to admit that the initial response was a bad idea. And politicians generally don't want to do that. But gosh, how endearing that is to say, look, I, I know we locked things down and I yeah. know and it's panning out that it's not it's not really what we thought it would be it's not really making the difference so that's why we're gonna we're gonna turn it back but you know what we did what we thought we needed to do there is nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that but keep going on with this no 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 this is working put your hands over your face is crazy we talked uh just a a few moments about the numbers in that poll in july jay um have the have those numbers i want to be real fair because that's back in july and here we are six months plus later I want to be real honest with those numbers. What mm-hmm. are they now for the they're, death they're, rate? So, well, the, the so it's a little higher than that. But see, the problem yeah. is, is that that was a total. So, in, there's a difference between what percentage of the population has died, mm-hmm. right? That's one question. And then there's the so-called infection fatality rate. All right. And so, what that means is, of the people who actually get it what percentage of them die. So that's a subset of the population. And we knew what that was uh, in in the summer. So that's what, in the book, we said it was gonna be between probably 0.15 and 0.26. The World Health Organization now thinks it's on the kind of lower end of that. So compare that to the uh, the Imperial College London Neil Ferguson model, which said it was 3.4%. That's what they assumed. Well, it's probably something like 0.15%. So okay. it's many, many, many times less deadly in terms of the infection fatality rate uh, than it actually is. And that's okay. that, that ratio has continued to pan out. And, that's, and less, that's less than the flu, too, because the yeah, flu well, is like... And so the, the flu, that, that's more than the flu, If you, oh, okay. it, but it, okay. it's differentiated. Gotcha. So it's about, I would say, four 
four times worse than an ordinary flu. It's about as bad as the Hong Kong flu of 1968. Okay. So and it's that, about four times worse for a lot of people if you well, get it. It is not. It does, though. You know, it, it varies because, I mean, I had it too. and it felt like a mild cold. And um, what what's different about this is just like the flu, it tends to be much more dangerous for elderly people that are that are infirm, but also it's the curve's much more drastic. So if you're a small child or say under 20, it's four or five times less dangerous than the flu. Right. Okay. So you're more likely, but if you're over 70, yeah, it's it's multiples of that. Okay. And so the, so the we're infection not, fatality we're not rate, minimizing you know. it and saying no, like, not at this all. is we, nothing. We've got numbers. It's just Absolutely. let's at the same time, let's not say it's it's everything. Uh, That's we, right. we need to we look at we need to look at some of the the reality and how things have panned out. And so I wanted to ask you about that. How how many studies really show the efficacy of shutdowns and wearing masks versus, whoa, this isn't working? Mm-hmm. I mean, do do no. we have some solid numbers that say, <laughs> you know, these lockdowns have kind of helped. These masks are really working. We've done a, a, quite a few show, just to preface mm-hmm. that, Jay, shows on what we're seeing with masks now that even wearing masks can be extremely dangerous and Mm -hmm. you can catch the virus because where do viruses like these warm wet environments what's between my mouth and the mask a warm wet environment with these tiny little viruses that get through (laughs) yeah and so the lockdowns themselves had not been tested so that's what people are astonished by this but we just hadn't done it before we had done some kind of minor versions of this the the standard of care or response was quarantine. So you take the people that you know are sick and infected and contagious and you isolate them from everybody else. A lockdown is when you make everyone stay in together and that weirdly sort of replicates the conditions for respiratory illness. I mean, this is why we get sick with the cold and the flu in the winter because we're locked up together. And so that sort of counterintuitive that that would help. And, And so in the book, we said, okay, well, the nice thing is we can test this. We can compare all the states, U.S. states and all the countries countries um, and some lockdown, the different ones had government lockdowns on different dates. And so what you'd expect if the lockdowns make a difference is that the case curves would be going up and then you'd have a lockdown. And then about 10 days after that, you'd see a bend in the curve because it takes about 10 days to detect what's happening from a lockdown. Um, and we didn't see that anywhere. I mean, we honestly were astonished when we ran this data to discover that so far as we can tell, government imposed lockdowns make no discernible difference at all uh, in the sort of case curves of the virus in populations, which is just weird. And so if we didn't tell you what dates the lockdowns happen and we just showed you the case curves, you'd never be able to guess. So the, the signal of the lockdowns is completely lost in the noise, which is really depressing. What we thought is the lockdowns maybe made a little difference, but they weren't worth it. And what we found is they probably didn't make any difference. So whatever benefit people like the benefits of us responding to fear of a virus is voluntary, right? It's whatever you naturally do during a flu season probably helps some. And then those government imposed lockdowns, they didn't do anything. And so that's why I say, now we have to say, what was the cost of the lockdowns compared to the fact that there was apparently no benefits to them? That's what's depressing about it. Okay. So that's the question then. What has been the cost to the lockdowns? And the I guess the other side of that is how how does this virus transmit if you know we're mm-hmm. we're staying the heck away from each other, washing <sighs> our hands and being good little citizens? Yeah. 
Well, it, 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 the reality is, okay, it's it, at the extreme, if we all wore hazmat suits, right, and we were as isolated, we all had to say a, a mile of space around us, and we we're out in South Dakota, right? We're not going to transmit the virus in that way. Okay. But it's unreal. That may be next. Problem, Hang you know, on, folks. We're not going to do that. But the reality <laughs> is, is that short of that, in which everyone literally starves to death, right, because we actually need to be able to work together, um, there are just all sorts of vectors for a virus like this. It's a respiratory virus. It's so that's the, that's why a lot of these things that we do, it ends up being hygiene theater because you can't really pre, uh, prevent this across the population. Now, if you decided, okay, we're going to put all of our resources into really hard lock, careful protection of nursing homes and isolation of known infected people, right? And so all your energy is in that. That would probably make a difference, but that's not what we did. We decided we're going to do these kind of weird lockdowns of everyone, which can't really even be done. And so what it ends up really doing is just screwing up everyone ones lives whose jobs can't be digitized and then those of us that can do everything from our computers online are sort of fine and so that's what unfortunately actually happened um and the price of this and we give the kind of rough estimates at the beginning probably the lockdowns cost the economy about a trillion dollars per month when we were in the hard lockdowns at the beginning right which is catastrophic probably at least 75,000 excess deaths of despair in 2020. In other words, deaths from suicide and drug and alcohol overdose over and above what you would have expected. Mm -hmm. they, there's one estimate, uh, one study thinks that 85,000 cancer screenings were missed just in the first three months oh. uh, of the lockdowns. And so it doesn't take long and add up screenings for heart disease and diabetes mm -hmm. that you could end up with more deaths as a result of the lockdowns than you have attribute, attributed to the coronavirus itself. That's yeah, just and there's the very even, definition of a catastrophe. There's factors that we haven't even talked about that we don't even have time to get into with people not going to the doctor, fear yep. of going to the doctor and all of that. And so we're doing these new things as if we're so enlightened and we know what we're doing when it really comes back <clears throat> to ancient science. Um, Moses yeah. was the first uh, public health official. And then right. Leviticus, <laughs> and I'm getting to the God story here. In yes. Leviticus, Moses gave orders um, from God telling mm -hmm. us what to do with, let's say, a leprous infection, for example. Yeah. And it was basically a keep him out, have him cover mm -hmm. his upper lip and just say, hey, I'm unclean. Okay, you yeah, know, uh, I'm right. going to stay over here. It was really quarantine. That's right. Uh, we saw the some of the first instances of quarantine way back in Leviticus thousands of years ago. And that really should have been our first response, a great thing to do when someone's sick, yeah. get them out. Now, we know that there are people who care, can be carriers, but here's the other thing. We have a natural mass that's called an immune system. No, well, that's right. And the, and the reality is, remember, the other thing about the mass of the lockdowns, it was based upon massive amounts of asymptomatic spread. We don't actually know that. In fact, the recent studies suggest okay. that asymptomatic spread may not be all that significant. And this really makes sense. So if you have the virus in your system, but you're asymptomatic, that means your immune system is already dealing with it really well. And so you're not going to have a huge number of these viral particles in you. So the viral load is going to be small. You're also not hacking and coughing and spitting, right? And 
so the idea that asymptomatic spread was a massive factor was, again, it was another assumption uh, that now it, when you're testing this, it's like, gosh, there don't seem to be a lot of examples of, of this. And really, I mean, if you look at the deaths, say, in New York, we know what those came from. How, at least half of them were from people, older people catching the virus, catching it in the hospital, and then getting sent back to the nursing homes where the most vulnerable people were. Well, that turns out, guess what? No surprise. That kills a lot of people when you do that. But that didn't have anything to do with asymptomatic spread. That was people that caught it, were sick, and then because they were sick, got sent back to the nursing homes. Maybe something we can learn from all of this is if you're sick, stay home. (laughs) Didn't we know this? (laughs) No, apparently not. not. Maybe not. I have two quick questions because I've already taken so much of your time. But one is, uh, how did herd immunity become uh, the idea that, you know, if enough people have it, then it Mm -hmm. starts to dwindle out? It may not dwindle out completely. I mean, we still have have, what, three cases of the bubonic plague, of all things, every single year in America. But we've got this idea that herd immunity is from the number of people being vaccinated. And, you know, I don't mean to get political, but from Mm -hmm. the same people that say my body, my choice are suddenly wanting to stick a needle in absolutely everyone because you might risk innocent lives. Does that that, like mind blown? No, there's so many things there. I mean, the purpose of a vaccine in principle is to actually just speed up the process of herd immunity. What got weird, Fair though, enough. is that you had you got people like the Great Barrington Declaration, which talked about, you know, herd immunity. And then they were they were attacked for saying, well, you're saying that people should just expose themselves to the virus. No, herd immunity is not a strategy so much as it's kind of a biological reality. It's how viruses sort of run themselves out. And so the question is, okay, so how are you going to get there? Because ultimately you're going to get there unless we go extinct, um, you're going to reach herd immunity where basically the vectors, the way, the pathways for the virus just, you know, they're so small that even though it's floating around out there, there's so few routes that people are generally safe. And so essentially what you want to do in a situation like that is when you find that there's a huge segment of the population that's not at risk and a small segment that really is, Okay, isolate those people as best you can that are really at risk and then let people live their lives. That doesn't mean you have COVID parties. It means you let people live their lives because you don't actually have control over this thing. And then as more people that were not at risk actually build up immunity to it, uh, the people that really are at risk are at much less risk. And that was the kind of the basic idea. This is what they decided to do sort of early on in Sweden. Um, Sweden is now back to normal. Of course, they were attacked for that. That's essentially what Governor DeSantis decided decided to do. We're going to focus on the nursing homes and we're not going to lock the whole state down. And now uh, Floridians are living mostly normal lives. And so this idea that we're still talking about this when we have tangible examples of states and countries that have done this right. I mean, it's just maddening. I mean, I'm in suburban DC and in Maryland. And it's like, can they not read what's happening in Florida? I mean, why are we doing this? And Florida (laughs) is banking on this. I mean, they're making bank. It's true. But here's here's the thing. You mentioned that Sweden, for example, totally demonized over Mm -hmm. their their decision. Uh, We saw that in Georgia, where they said, you know, Georgia is, I think it was the New York Times, maybe that said they're going to be the number one death destination. 
Yes, absolutely. And I mean, they're constantly said that and then they sort of dropped it when that didn't happen. And so what people did with Sweden is they compared the infection fatality rate there um, and the, the number of deaths per capita effectively really uh, with Norway, which was its neighbor and said, okay, that's the only relevant comparison. Nor Norway seemed to be doing a lot better. Uh, the problem is, first of all, the two different countries, and that's not how you do statistics. You need to compare them with a lot of places. And if you compared them to their neighbor, Belgium or the UK, it turns out Sweden was doing much, much better. And Belgium and the UK had hugely draconian lockdowns. And so that, you know, that's when, once we had data from lots and lots of countries and lots of individual states, it became clear that, look, the lockdowns, um, there's a lot of scatter. That's how it is in populations uh, and with the data. But the lockdowns are not making any difference. And they're making people miserable and sick and actually killing people. And so that's that's why we wrote the book. We honestly thought surely by the summer we'll have all figured this out. But I, it looks to me like half the population is still uh, subject to this panic porn and still thinking that they're having to they have to do this if not for themselves and for everyone else. Okay. I I think this is this needs to be our last question, and I think it's an important one. We mentioned that the social contagion uh, is having a, as big a price, arguably mm -hmm. more, than the actual virus. Um, we are at a place where we absolutely cancel culture out oh, anything yeah. that is goes against the the given narrative. Is there any hope for us to recover from that contagion? Well, that's that's the open question. I mean, actually, we end the book, The Price of Panic, with that question. And we say, on the one hand, people are still terrified. Driving to church yesterday, my family, we turned right in an intersection and a guy saw us without our masks on in the car and he quickly put his own mask on, right? So this, what has happened is, I'm telling you, massive segments of the population have, are like suffering from psychological damage, I think, at this point. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, other people, you know, I was in, we were inspired on July 4th when um, uh, the, the mayor of, uh, uh, Mayor Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, said there are going to be no fireworks this year, and millions of Los Angelans just, you know, had other ideas, and there were fireworks all around the Los Angeles skyline. I really think it's going to be up to the American population if a critical mass of us decide, okay, look, we care about our fellow human beings. We're not going to do stupid stuff, but we're not going to keep complying with all of this ridiculous hygiene theater that it doesn't do anything. It's unenforceable. If one little town, everyone in that town just decided, no, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, how are they going to enforce that? It's working right now because we not only allow it to be enforced, but we, we enforce it upon each other. And so I think that we honestly, as a population, we're going to have to we're going to have to stiffen our spines and going to have to be willing to resist. If we want the new normal to persist forever, the brave new normal, we need to keep doing what we're doing. If we want to return uh, to the old normal, the real normal, I think we're going to have to we're going to have to find ways to peacefully resist. Yeah, I, well put. And you are part of the solution. Writing this book, The Price of Panic, How Tyranny of Experts Turned a Pandemic into a Catastrophe. This is very important for us to read. It's difficult. It's personally difficult for people. You know, in some ways, I feel I've been duped when, you know, I've believed things and felt passionately about it and then found out maybe I was wrong. But you know what? Back to that God story. Even in the Bible, God says, come let us reason together test yes. me, try me, prove me. If God doesn't mind being questioned, then why shouldn't the media and those that are in authority over us? Thank you so much for being on today. Jay Richards, this has been uh, such a pleasure. Great to be with you, Michelle.
And thank you. It's been fun having you listen today. I'm Michelle Mendoza. You can reach me. Well, find me at My Michelle Live, where, by the way, you can see some of the interviews, not just listen. You can watch me interview some of the guys that were on the program today. This is an important time to think about what you're thinking about, to reason things out, to look at logic, and to make right decisions, decisions that tend to work best are the ones that are based in truth. And for me, that truth is the God story. You want more on the God story? Email me, find me at mymichellelive.com. You want to share the God story? Will you support us? Will you share this? Will you like this and tell your friends? This is the My Michelle Live Podcasts. More Health Watch at mymichellelive.com.